of you have been on a very long flight before, a long flight, okay? Um, I'm thinking about, like, uh, I've gone to the other side of the globe three times. Um, I, I remember my very first mission trip, I was going down to, we were going to Brazil. Um, we had just been married probably not even a year, and you're, you're so pumped. I'd never been on a mission trip before, so you're on this flight from Miami to, to Rio or to, to Brazil. It was like maybe eight hours, and so we're flying, and the whole eight hours, I'm so excited, right? I'm thinking about like when we land and what we're going to do and how the mission's going to go, and I've got all these great ideas. And then at the minute that they came over the intercom and said, ladies and gentlemen, please return your seats to the upright position and make sure your trays are secure, as soon as they said that, like, I had this rush of excitement and sheer panic because I knew that all the things I was thinking about doing when that plane landed, I was probably going to have to go and do those things, right? Um, that's kind of where our church is right now. This week and next week, we are landing the plane on this helper series. If you're here for the very first time We've been doing a series since January called The Helper. We've been looking at the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit gets dissed a lot in churches, right? Um, we're all about God. We're all about the Son, the Father, and all that. But we're not like the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure what to do with Him. So um, we've been taking a couple months of just looking at the Holy Spirit. What does it really mean to be passionate today with the power of the Holy Spirit? And so a lot of what we've done is we're flying, aren't we? Like we're talking a lot, like a lot of concepts. If you're in community group, you've been dipping down every now and then, like having really good conversations about like how do we work that out practically. But for the most part, we're just kind of up in the clouds here, right? We're shooting some stuff out there, some ideas, and we're going to start landing this thing, and, and we're going to have to do something with it, right? We've got to figure out what does that look like. And I don't know how you are. It makes me a little bit like I'm excited like, sweet, we're going to land this plane, and like a whole church is going to be passionate about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a part of me, I'm just sheer panic. Oh, God, what will this look like, right? And that's kind of where we are today. We're going to try to start kind of landing it today, and then next week, Phil, in a way that only Phil can do, is going to taxi us to the gate so we can come off the plane and start, you know, using what we've learned. So this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to, if you've got your... Your, your device, whatever, just get, open up version. get to 1 Corinthians 14. Um, and while you're turning there, uh, we're going to talk about on your note sheet, you see what we shouldn't be, what we should be, and what makes a difference. Two things that make the difference. What we shouldn't be and what we should be, and then two things that can make the difference. Um, let me give you a quick story of, of maybe what we shouldn't be, because the, the title of my message today is Be Clear, Not Weird. Okay, be clear, not weird. When I was in my very first church, Columbia, South Carolina, I was in seminary and they needed somebody to help with the youth. And so I, I was there. I, one day, this, this woman came up to me after church and she, she, she was about this tall. And so she like just waving her finger at me and she said, you are a spoiled brat. And I was like, thank you. What do you do with that, right? I didn't, I didn't know what to do with that. I mean, she's like half my size, and I didn't really even, she worked in, she like worked in the office part-time. To be honest, I didn't even really like her, and I, apparently she didn't like me, <laughs> you know, discernment. Um, so it was kind of awkward, right? And then the next day I went into the office, and there she was. 
And as if that wasn't awkward enough, this is what happened when I, and I walked into her office. She looked at me and she said, she said um, Pastor Paul, I feel like I need to pray for you. Okay, I'm, I'm all for prayer, right? So I said, okay. She said, would you um, just grab a seat and, and just pull it up here next to me? I'm, I just want to, I want you to sit here and I'm going to pray for you. I said, okay. Pulled the seat up, sat down. And then she, she bowed her head to start praying. She's like, Father. And she stopped. She said, Pastor Paul, I feel like I need to put my hand on your stomach. Now, I don't know what you would have done, but I tightened my stomach as much as possible, right? I mean, like I, I was, mm, go for it, right? <laughs> And so she put her hand on my stomach, and this, I swear, we're not making this up. This actually happened in my life. Here's what happened the next 30 seconds of my life. She goes, Father God, I, just pray, I pray for Pastor Paul right now. I was just, um, as, I, as, I, as I touch his stomach, and I just, oh, yes, there it is, God. There, and I'm thinking, there, there's my abs? <laughs> what, what's there? What, what, are, what, are you, what are you finding, right? I'm tensing up. <laughs> there it is. There, yes, there, and, and, and then she just, go on. And she just sat back and looked at me like, you're welcome. <laughs> and I said, um, what's gone? And she said, the pygmy. I said, the what? The pygmy. You, Pastor, you had a pygmy inside you. But I, I just cast it out. And I saw it run out into the woods. And I went, where is it? It's really small. I can't see it. Weird. Weird. That, okay, your first point, what we shouldn't be, confusing. Okay, what we shouldn't be, confusing. Because put yourself in my shoes. I'm already tired because I've been tensing my stomach for so long during that prayer. And I just kind of stumbled back to my office like, what just happened man that's that's not what god wants us to be like with the gifts of the spirit first Corinthians 14 you read that chapter over and over and over again here's what you'll find paul says don't be confusing don't be confusing if somebody comes in it's not a believer shh don't be confusing and that's a big deal for us not to confuse people with our weirdness so the person next to you, look at them. Do they look weird? Huh. Maybe, maybe not, right? It doesn't mean that the gifts of the Spirit operating in our church won't be challenging, okay? And I believe that it will be challenging as we see the Spirit of God start to move in our church, right? As He does things in our lives outside the service and as things might be in the service, they'll be, all be, it's going to be challenging, right? I still don't, we'll never understand all the stuff that God does through the power of his Holy Spirit, but it doesn't mean it has to be confusing. Let me give you a couple, a couple verses you can jot down. I'll read them to you um, just to hear what he's saying in chapter 14. First Corinthians 14, verse 5, Paul says this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues Unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. He's talking about not being confusing. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 9. Paul says this, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. 
A confusing message is like speaking into the air. Have you ever, I've had conversations with people and like they're actually talking English, but when it's over, I'm, I have no idea what you said. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody like that? Like they just can't even put words together right. But they know what they're saying and they're really excited about it. And when they're done, they're kind of like, what do you think? I, yes. <laughs> you get in all kinds of trouble that way, right? Man, it's hard when people are confusing. When even what they're trying to say is so important. Can you imagine taking something very, very, very important and messing it up as you deliver it? Man, he wants us to not be confusing. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 18 and 19. Paul says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but, everybody say but, buts in the church, no, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, he's like, look, being confusing is so bad that Paul said this, and we know that Paul could preach a long time, right? Because last week we talked about him preaching so long somebody died. And then he raised him from the dead and kept on preaching. So we know he's long-winded. So Paul's saying this, as much as I like to talk, it's better to say five words that we can understand than 10,000 words that we can't. Paul's like, less is more. Less is more. Because I don't want you to be confusing. If, if we're honest, it's, it's the lack of consistency between the public use of the gift and the private life of the gifted that causes most of us to have the same reaction when someone brings up the gifts. Let me say that again. It's, it's possible, probable, that the lack of consistency between the public use of the gift and the private life of the gifted, that's what causes us to have this reaction when someone brings up the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> yes? Kind of this little, terif- this little terrified look on her face of, oh, no, not the gifts of the Spirit. Our problem is not with the helper, right? Because we've learned throughout this series that, one, the helper's God. We know the helper's our friend, that the helper's on our side. The Holy Spirit wants to give us power. He wants to encourage us. He wants to help us succeed in this life. We know all that, right? So our problem's not with the helper. Our problem is with the people he's helping. They're weird. So we shouldn't be confusing. What should we be? Number two, we should be clear. We should be clear. Um, What that means for us as a church is this. As we progress and explore these gifts, as we use them in our lives, sorry, we've got to have an over-the-top commitment to clarity. Over-the-top commitment to clarity. Man, that's got to be, what's funny is that's one of our core values here. We value creative communication. Sometimes, have you ever seen people get so creative, so cute, you don't even know what they said? Sometimes it's just good to be clear. Like, when you sit down as a parent to discipline your children, if it's really, really important, you touch them on the shoulder, right? You say, look at my face. You use small words, and you speak them slowly with authority. No. Because it's really important. And you want to be clear. That's not the time to come up with some creative way to say it. It's the time just to say it. And what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 14 is, like, you know what, there's, there's gifts, and you're going to use them in the church and all this stuff, but man, when it's all said and done, don't be confusing, be clear. Be so clear that people will understand the message that you're saying. That's the heart of God. Here's the commitment. 
that Paul had at the Corinthian church to being clear. I've got like six verses for you to write down. 14.8. Here's why we got to be clear. 14.8. He says this. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? Now, this is not a verse talking about how when you were in middle school and you tried to play the trumpet and it was terrible. This is about this. Like, we're getting ready to go to war. We're going to battle. And if we're going to battle, we got to hear the instructions. And if we don't understand the instructions, we can't go to battle. Have you ever been put in a position by your boss to do a task at work, but you had no idea what you're supposed to do? Your boss just like, get it done. Get her done. How? Man, what Paul's saying is this. These gifts are not for you just to have fun with. These gifts are to operate through you, and we're supposed to be clear with what we're using. Communication is huge. 1419. 1419, we already read this one. It says this, but in the church, I would speak five intelligible words to instruct others in 10,000 words in a tongue. What is Paul saying? He's saying the more public it gets, the more committed we've got to be to being clear. You ever had a conversation one-on-one with somebody and you've got all the time in the world, so you're talking to them and you can just tell that they're not getting it. They're just kind of like the glaze. And what do you do in that moment? Don't you ever just like kick back and restart and go at it again from a different direction? Like, this is really important. I want to make sure you get it. So let's just try this one more time. But man, sometimes in public, like what if if this is the one shot? What if we're here and he talks, what if a visitor walks in and like, this is their one shot with us and we we don't get a do-over? Paul's saying, man, the more public these gifts go, the more committed you've got to be to clarity. Like, this is not the place for you to get up and prove to us how great you are. This is the place to get up and speak clearly the message that God has for the church to share with the world. That's what he's saying. The more public, the more committed you've got to be to clarity. Um, 1426. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. So gifts have to be used to strengthen the church. That's as clear a purpose statement as you'll ever get for the gifts. How many of you throughout this series have had a why moment where you kind of go, okay, we're studying about the gifts. We're studying about the helper. I get it, but like, but why? Like, what's the point? That so what question, there's your answer. The gifts are used to build up the church, to strengthen and edify the body. We've got to be committed to that. Verse 28, Paul says, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Now, this is in the middle of him talking about, look, if you feel like you've got a message in tongues, two or at the most three people should speak out, and then somebody should interpret. And then he goes on to say this. Have you ever heard somebody say, the devil made me do it? Have you ever heard that expression? Okay, so um, Christians use this term. Well, I was just led by the Spirit. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, I was... Why are you naked? I was just led by the Spirit to rip my clothes off. Okay, <laughs> which spirit, right? <laughs> Christians do that all the time. They do anything they want, and then when you call them on it, they say, well, I felt like God was leading me to do that. Listen, and, and Phil's going to get into this next week. The same Spirit that gives us gifts to use in public at times also gives us a fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Same Spirit. So 
in this place, right, in this place, I feel pretty confident reading things like this and saying, oh, wow, check that out. Like being led by the Spirit includes somebody in authority saying, that's enough. That's what he said. Two, at the most three. And by the way, if you come to church that day and you're looking around the room and realize that like the people that typically have a gift of interpretation are at the beach that week, be quiet. Why would Paul go to such lengths with these instructions? Why would he make it so clear? Because he wants us to be clear, right? It's a big deal. Being clear is more important. Listen to this. Being clear is more important than even using your gifts. That's what Paul said. Now you can, because we're in America, right? So you can already hear people going, well, you're not going to tell me when and when I can't use the gift. You're right. I'm not. God did. <laughs> he's like, he's the one that said it. I'm just reading it, right? Huh. If you're here for the first time, you're like, what in the heck have I stepped into? <laughs> A great church that wants the power of the Holy Spirit to move in them. And we just want to hear how we're supposed to do it. Okay, uh, verses 27 and 29. Verse 27, 29, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak. Um, prophecy is one of the gifts of the Spirit we learned about last week. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So to keep things clear, I mean, Paul even had the nerve to place limits on a body. Now, we got to understand the context here. Um, how many of you, uh, oh, don't, gosh, don't raise your hand. Just think, how many of you have ever been in a dead church? Right? Like, hopefully not today. <laughs> okay? You're like, you've been in a church, and you're just like, God, like, even Jesus doesn't come here. Right? First Corinthians was the exact opposite of that. Okay? How many, have you ever gone to a church that was just crazy? We've talked about a few of those during this series, right? Like, I know my first experience in a really, really crazy church was the pastor got up and said, let's pray. And when he bowed his head, like 100 people really did actually start praying out loud. It was craziness. It's like some in English, some in tongues. I was just, I was kind of like, I was teenager going, what is going on? It's just so confusing. This is not clear, right? Paul, he's actually, he's looking at at Corinthians saying, look, everybody's talking at one time. And if you've, you already get this principle, right? You don't even have to be sold on Pentecost and sold on power of the Holy Spirit and sold on gifts. You just got to be a parent of more than one child. And if you're a parent of more than one child, you already know what it feels like when everybody's talking at one time and you just turn around and go, quiet! Okay, you talk. Shh. It's not your turn. Shh. Go ahead. Thank you. Now your turn. I'm thinking shut up. I'm not going to say it though. Go ahead. See, you already do this, don't you? The problem is like you're multitasking, so you're driving while you do that. Down the interstate at 75 miles an hour. <laughs> That's why dads came up with the phrase, don't make me pull this over, right? I mean, like, you already do this. So don't get weirded out because it's about the gifts of the Spirit. You already do this. All the time, even if you don't love Jesus. Because it's important to hear what people have to say. And it's even more important if we believe that God is speaking through them. If God is speaking through somebody, man, we should be like, shh. Go ahead. Right? It's a big deal. And that's what Paul's saying here. 
He's just saying, look, calm down. Two at the most three. He even has practical things like here. And if one, of, if one person's talking and giving a prophecy and somebody else has a prophecy, the one who's talking should just sit down. I love that. Man, can you, he would be ticking people off all the time if he was a pastor, wouldn't he? Because you'd be up going like, I believe God's saying this through me. And then somebody would be like, oh, Pastor Bob, I got to say something. I go, Shh, that's enough. Sit down. Go ahead. And you see how, like, it's, it's almost like orchestration, isn't it? It's crazy. And so you, we're going to get to it in a minute, the two things that make all the difference, and you'll see why they make a difference, because you can already tell if we really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to move in our church, and we actually took what Paul's saying to heart, and we started saying things like, hey, we believe God might want to speak through you, but you can't say it yet. You need to come check with an elder first. If we say things like that, the first thing that really Pentecostal people say is, oh, well, who do you think you are? I don't, I don't think I'm anybody except like just the pastor. I'm just an elder. We're just a person trying to follow what the Bible says. And who do you think you are to override God? Right? That's when people start leaving churches. Well, the weird people. It doesn't mean if you leave the church, you're weird. It, it really does. Let's keep going. <laughs> 1433, chapter 14, verse 33. Um, Paul says this. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Chaos confuses, clarity brings peace. Chaos confuses, clarity brings peace. Um, <clears throat> before we get to number three, look at the last two verses of chapter 14. Verses 39 and 40. Paul wrote this, and I, I love this. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Let me tell you why I love that verse, those two verses. Because what Paul could have done is he could have just written to the Corinth church and the Corinthian church, and he could have just said, Look, this stuff's hard to understand. We've already talked about this, like tongues, interpretation, prophecy, like healing. All, it's so messy that what I want you to do in order to be more um, palatable to the people on the outside so that they'll want to come to your church is what I think I want you to do is just stop using these gifts. He could have done that, right? And trust me, as a leader of a church, I think that would have been a smarter way to go. Because walking in the power of the, of the, that the helper gives us and trying to learn how to use these gifts in our lives, it's messy. It's a lot of nice try, mm, maybe not quite right. Let's work on that a little bit more. And let's, you know, I told you about the first time I preached and I cussed the church out, right? I had to get up and apologize. Thankfully, somebody worked with me to help me become a better teacher. I mean, jury's still out on that, but we're hoping I'm a little bit better than when I cuss people out. That, that I got better at it because somebody invested in me, right? And that's what this is about. Even with these gifts, even with the ones that make our weird meter just peg, it's about helping people develop the character to carry these gifts and that just requires a lot of patience and grace and we've talked about that to no end about how grace and love fills the gaps right that's because there will be gaps as we struggle with this stuff chaos confuses clarity brings peace what I love about Paul is he said this like as much as you're messing this up as much as you're ruining the way that God meant for the gifts to operate hey um be eager to prophesy. Don't stop anybody from speaking in tongues. 
Just make sure it's clear. Make sure it's not confusing. I love that. So Paul takes the hard route, right? Instead of the easy route. So right now, most of us are sitting here going, okay, so when I come back to church next Sunday, um, and Phil's preaching, should we be expecting somebody to stand up and do something like this? No. Mm -mm. I think we should expect to listen to Phil preach an amazing sermon. What do you think? Yeah. I think we should expect for God's power to be in us. And, and as I'll show you in just a minute, I think we should expect these gifts to work through us in all kinds of places, not just here. Okay? So what makes the difference? What makes the difference between confusing and clear? Um, the short answer is um, that what makes the difference between confusing and clear is you, but that's not your blank, so you can't write that down, right? We're the ones that make the difference between confusing and clear. Our lives, how we live our lives. Um, two words. Serving and faithfulness. Serving and faithfulness. I've got one more verse to read to you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. While you're turning it, follow me with this. We said earlier, what really jacks people up over the gifts of the Spirit is not the gifts. It's the, it's the people that use them, right? Um, it's, have, it's when you hear somebody say something and it seems so like God. It seems the perfect thing, exactly what you needed to hear. And then you watch their lives and they're just totally don't even look like Jesus. You ever had that happen? That's what confuses people, right? It's not what you did or didn't do in a church service. It's what you do and don't do outside the church service. That's what confuses people. And so Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Hang with me. It's funny that we're preaching about being clear and not confusing. And what really held me up all week was like, oh, God, please, on this message, please let me be clear. <laughs> right? Like, I can't preach on being clear and then not be clear. So hopefully this will make sense when we get done. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote this, verse 1. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, depending on what translation you have, I think if you've got the ESV, it says that we've been entrusted with the mysteries of God. Um, let me ask you this. How many of you would still say, even after three months of studying about the Holy Spirit, that there's a bit of a mystery to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I, I would, right? <laughs> so I'm with you. So what this verse says is that God, and I love this, he's beginning to entrust to the gathering some of the mysteries of God. And that can kind of make us go, sweet, right? We should put that on a card and hand it out to people. Come to the church that has the mysteries of God. But what did Paul say? If we've received the mysteries of God, then men ought to be regarding us as servants of Christ. Verse 2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. See, what you'll learn next week is this. Gifts are given and the fruit of the Spirit is cultivated. So God just gives gifts. Um, and sometimes he gives gifts and people that are totally not even 
well, they're serving him, but they're not, they don't look like him. They're, they're not even remotely sanctified. They've just got all kinds of problems. God can use them. He can pour his gifts through them in a moment. But you've got to cultivate through the Spirit. You've got to cultivate serving. You've got to cultivate faithfulness. And when you cultivate those things in your life, it, it makes you as the carrier of a gift less confusing to the people around you. Um, here's the big idea, and then I'm going to give you a couple of examples of what this looks like. Be clear in public by being near in private. Be clear in public by being near in private. What that means is this. In, in just me and God hanging out alone, if I'm with God alone, and I'm, just, and I'm near to Him, like intimacy, my relationship with Christ, I'm closer to Him, I'm studying the Word, I'm praying, I'm cultivating this close relationship with Jesus in private, that is what allows me to speak in public and be clear, right? But when I speak in public, <laughs> golly, like nobody here would ever do this. And I got up and said, thus saith the Lord. Not that, that'll probably never happen here. But thus saith the Lord, thou shalt burn every copy of whatever show you hate. Right? And then somebody sees you watching that show later that week. What's the first word they think about you? It starts with an H and ends with it. Hypocrite. And that's what's confusing, right? But man, if I stood up and said, man, I, I, I'm scared to say this is God, but I feel like God's telling me to tell you this. Man, it's time, for you, it's time for us to purify our lives and start getting rid of things in our lives that hinder us from being all that God wants us to be. And you've been watching my life, and you look at the person next to you and go, I hate what he's saying, but that dude's been doing that. He's been getting rid of stuff that God's been putting his finger on. He's, he's, he just wants to be close to Jesus. See, my private life, being near to God in private helps me to be clear with you in public. How does serving and faithfulness help? Serving. We've read this verse a number of times. 1 Peter 4.10 says that we're supposed to use our gifts to serve others. In this context, the Corinthians were not serving one another. They were one-upping one another. Don't you love one-uppers? Don't they drive you insane? You ever just want to look at somebody that one-ups you and just say, dude, can I just have my moment, please? I'm having a bad day, and I don't want to hear about yours, right? <laughs> they're one-upping each other. That's, they're, like their whole church service was this. Oh, you think you got a word from God? Let me tell you what God told me. Oh, you think that's a good word? Let me tell you what he told me. And then somebody's like, well, God told me to tell y'all to shut up. <laughs> right? That was their church service. Like, no honoring one another, no putting the other before them. I mean, that's why the, he's, he's just written about divisions in the church. There's sin in that church. There's sexual immorality in that church. All of these things are about self instead of serving, right? And so Paul says to this church, man, here's the deal. Serve. Have the heart of a servant. And when we have the heart of a servant, it's a long sentence, but you're going to love it. It allows the communication of the message to be more important than the celebration of the messenger. It allows the communication of the message to be more important than the celebration of the messenger. There will be a lot less of this. I'm amazing. And God has gifted, I am gifted to share with you this amazing word. It'll be a lot more of, 
I just want, can I share this with you? I, think, I feel like God wants me to tell you this. And we'll just be so wowed at the message that's given that the messenger almost fades into the background. And then faithfulness. How does faithful, faithfulness make a difference? I put in my notes, faithfulness is the difference between being a vessel and being a jerk. That's probably a really harsh way to say it. But God is looking for faithfulness in the smaller private things so that he can promote us to bigger things. Matthew 25, 23 says that he who is faithful with a little, God will make him faithful with a lot. And again, you already understand that principle. You don't even have to follow Jesus. It's why you give your, when you start giving your kids, if you give your kids allowances, you start with a quarter and not $100. Right? Well, if you really love me, you'd give me $100. Yeah, but you can't even speak yet. I'm still changing your diaper. Here's a quarter. Don't eat it, right? I'm going to put it in your bank for you. Blink. We already understand this principle. A little, show me you're faithful, I'll give you more. That's what this is about. If we're not near God in private, we'll never be clear to man in public. I want to close with two stories this morning just to show you how that works. Um, one is from a, a young man. His name is Kyle. Um, he used to come to church here when he was going to Pfeiffer. And he lives up in New Jersey. He sent me this this week. I'm just going to give you the highlights because it's kind of long. But I love, I love, um, you're going to hear as I read this story and the next one, you're going to hear things like word of knowledge, word of wisdom. You're going to hear these, these gifts operation, operational in these stories, okay? Um, he says this. He said, someone posted their opinion online and violently tried to argue that there was no proof for God. I commented and I politely proposed the truth to them. I can still hear Kyle saying that. The one who was arguing against the existence of God, he and I messaged back and forth between each other, and we set a date to hang out and chat. So this all starts because he just sees something on Facebook. I know that you are never on Facebook. So if you were hypothetically on Facebook and you saw somebody post something that was like, God's not real, what would you do in that moment? Right? Most of us would go, help him, Jesus. But Kyle, because he's trying to be faithful He's just, very small step, just posted something back like probably, man, you're so awesome, but you're wrong, right? And so that, this conversation ensues back and forth. So he says, we hung out, we talked for a while. He asked me why I believe. I told him why. Um, I really think he was believing what I was saying. Finally, I prayed with him. I tried my best to preach the gospel of Christ to him. I didn't speak very eloquently, but I got what words I could out of my mouth. We said goodbye, and that was that. He went to his home, and I went to mine. When I got home, I had my Bible out to read the Word. I was listening to worship music, and I was in a conversation on my phone by text about Jesus with my friend. My mind was on other things, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, that's the helper, revealed to me at the exact moment that the guy I was, had hung out with was doubting. And even though the last time I had seen him, it seemed like he was beginning to have some belief. This was distinct, exact, and very clear that this was him and the exact time, and this was how he felt specifically. So, faithful in a little, faithful in a lot, I sent him a message. And I said, doubts will come and go. This is exactly what he wrote to him. Doubts will come and go, but the word of the Lord will last forever. Now, I'm going to possibly offend some of you with what I'm getting ready to say but I don't want to say it any other way than the way this dude responded, okay? Is that all right with you? Because this is not a believer. This is an atheist. And I love how the helper works, okay? So he sends him that message, and he said, his response to me was WTF. 
I love that. Out of sheer disbelief. If you don't know what WTF is, you have to look it up some other time. Something about french fries, I'm sure of it. He told me that he had just said out loud in his room that he did not believe in God prior to when I sent the message. And he said, you guys get plus five points. Kyle said, this is an atheist saying you guys get plus five points. He then told me he would be freaked out if I could tell him what he was thinking about at that specific moment as they're chatting back and forth after that initial word I gave him. So I asked the Holy Spirit. And then I told this friend of mine what it was that he was thinking of at that moment. And he replied with, plus 25. (laughs) So God and myself got a total of 30 points from an atheist. Not that God needs anything from anyone. But God is so extremely glad to show his love and to touch the hearts of those hurting out there in the world. Kyle. Um, What I love about that is it's faithful in the little things, right? And so I know, listen, again, we've got all kinds of different experiences here, backgrounds, church, all that kind of stuff. Some of us have been in crazy churches, some of us have been in normal churches, but all of us right now, if we're thinking, we're thinking stuff like this, what is our church going to look like as we go down this path, right? As we land this plane, as we, as we taxi down the runway and we get off the plane, we start living out the power of the helper and the Holy Spirit. What is that going to look like in our church? I think it's going to look like that, what we just read. I'm not praying for this service to become crazy. I'm praying for us to become radically passionate about taking the gospel and the power of God to the world. So one last story. It's from a man named Sean Smith. Um, I'm just going to read it to you. Is that cool? I'll go quick. He says, I was preaching at a church in the Monterey area of Northern California, and the pastor and his wife took me out to lunch at a nice restaurant. As we went out over to the car, we walked past various shops and boutiques. I walked past a particular shop, and I felt this dark rush. It was like something violently wrong was coming out of that shop. I looked up at the sign, and it was some kind of Eastern New Age store. I stepped back and looked at the window. in the window. There was a black table and a woman doing tarot cards right there in front of us. Immediately, I started binding spirits and praying. I was praying, but still walking away, doing the drive-by warfare thing. I don't know if you've ever done that or not, but bless him, Jesus, as you keep going. But I knew God was requiring something deeper from me. We got in the car, and again, he's in the car with a pastor and his wife, and I knew I had unsettled business. We drove about two blocks. I began feeling sick because I was grieving the Spirit of God. Finally, I spoke up and said to the pastor, I think I'm supposed to go back there and witness at that tarot card shop. So we turned the car back around and parked, and my heart was beating fast. We all prayed, and I walked into the shop. There were pictures on the walls of people who have headed up various spiritual movements in history. I felt a little Holy Ghost indignation because they also had Jesus' picture up there along with all the other so-called ascended spiritual leaders. I walked over and said to the tarot card reader, Can I ask you a question? I pointed at the cards and asked, How do these cards help you get in touch with the spirit realm? She said, would you like a reading? And I responded, no, I would just like an answer. She said, give me about 10 minutes because she still needed to finish a reading with someone she was already with. Listen to this. It was totally God, meaning it was totally God that he had those 10 minutes. Because if she had spoken with me then, I would have rebuked her. But that wasn't what God had for her. The Spirit wasn't leading my attitude at that moment. I was being led by the pattern of what I've done in the past. Many times the Lord would have me confront the error so, that I, so I was in rebuke mode. 
In the next 10 minutes, I received a spiritual download. That's really a great way to understand how the Holy Spirit works, okay? Um, if you've ever downloaded things off your computer, aren't you so glad that we don't have modems anymore? Waiting, waiting. I, I don't, it's like I still have um, a modem because I have Windstream, but still. <laughs> that instant download, this is like the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. This is, this is what God does, okay? And this is so good. It's, it's fun in a church service, but it's so good out in the world where people need to know that God sees them. Just listen to what happens next. In the next 10 minutes, I received a spiritual download. The Lord broke in and said, there are three things that you're going to say to this woman. Number one, she was in a relationship with a man she thought was going to nurture her. She trusted him and he ended up abusing her. She was thrust out of that and got involved with the tarot cards. Number two, reading tarot cards is not what she really wants to do. She's doing this as a default. There is really a dream in her heart to do something else. Tell her that if she'll let go of this, I'll open the door for that dream. And three, I've been dealing with her. You're going to be assigned to her, and she will recognize you as such. So that's what he got in that 10 minutes. You still with me? Okay. By then, I was definitely out of rebuke mode. I had mercy on her as I realized that she had been hurt. So I asked her the question again, how do these cards get you in touch with the spirit realm? She replied, the universal wisdom of the ages that is eternal and these cards help you to channel your energy into the cards. The sequence of cards tells a story on the basis that we can predict the future. I couldn't help but think to myself, people buy that? <laughs> I love that. And they don't think God can save you or lead you or direct you by the word of God or by a spirit. And then the woman flipped the devil card over on me. It was on now. I said to her, you think these cards get you in touch with the spirit realm. But let me tell you about the one who got me in touch. His name is Jesus Christ. I believe there are only two doors in the spirit realm. One is darkness and the other is Jesus Christ. I proceeded. The Lord told me that you were in a relationship with a man whom you trusted and he deeply hurt you. You thought that he would nurture you, but instead he ended up abusing you. And that's how you ended up here doing tarot card readings. I went on. Number two, this thing that you're doing right here, I pointed to the black table with the cards. This isn't really what's in your heart to do. You've always had it in your heart to do something else. But God says, if you'll let go of this, you will have the opportunity to grab onto something else that you've desired. Number three, God sent me back to this store as a sign to you. By this time, she was crying, and she told me, I asked God today if he would give me a sign. <sighs> a specific sign about whether or not I should stay involved in tarot cards. I've always wanted to paint but I never thought I could pay the bills by painting. So I've gotten into these cards. I've been contemplating if I should let go of this dream or not. That wasn't all. She said she had grown up in a certain ultra-religious setting and it wasn't a good situation for her. Later on, she moved in with a guy who was a highly enlightened guru. She ended up getting hurt and abused. And so I asked her, would it be okay if I prayed with you? I ended up praying with her right there on the spot. I turned the devil's card right back over because the devil was not going to whip out the last card. God was in control, and he gives us his authority. Hmm. Letter to Jesus. And he didn't say this in the book, but I heard him say it in a conference. She turned to all the people in line and said, I can't do your readings. I'm closed. And she totally walked away from that life. Because one man just walking down the street Felt like he heard God say, through the Holy Spirit, you need to go in there. And he kept on walking. He got in the car, and he, was, he just eventually said, i got to go back. All because faithful in a little, I'll make you faithful in a lot. 
Here's what I know. Most of us aren't going to have that happen this week. Is that fair to say? But God would love for all of us to have something like that happen this week. And how do you get there? You get there by cultivating a servant's heart and faithfulness. A servant's heart and faithfulness. You get there by cultivating that in private so that when God uses you in public, it's clear. That woman did not have to wonder, is this God? Because she prayed that God would give her a sign, and then here's a man going, I'm a sign. (laughs) Here's your sign, right? It's crazy. I love how God works. Here's how I want to apply the message today, okay? Instead of, instead of worrying, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to um, minimize the, the worries about what church services could look like. I think that's a legitimate concern, okay? But I'd rather do this. I'd rather that you would commit for the next 14 days, the next 14 days. That's between now and Easter. For 14 days, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to worry less about what happens on Sunday. And I'm going to ask you to focus more about what's going on with you and Jesus in private. Okay, for 14 days. That means starting tomorrow, you're going to get up in the morning. And you're not going to worry about what's happening with anybody else. You're just going to get with God. And you're going to say, Lord, cultivate in me a servant's heart. Cultivate in me a faithful attitude. Show me where I can be faithful today. Show me where I can serve today. Just for 14 days. You're going to pursue the power of the Holy Spirit in private. Here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe if you do that, you're going to be amazed at how much better my preaching gets. Even though my preaching may never have changed. You're going to become amazed at how good the worship gets. Even though the worship may not change. You change. You change. And then when you begin to change in private because you're near God in private, he's going to begin to get you, give you chances to speak out in public. And whether it's in a service or it's in a restaurant or it's in a car with a boss driving somewhere, you know, six hours away, you're going to say things and they're going to believe it because they've seen your life. And they're not going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're clear. And they're going to wonder how you knew that. And you're going to get to share Christ with them. The result of being near to God in private will be being clear to men in public. 